The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review TV shows that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for IGN and other venues sometimes. We Yay! Uh, and uh, in le- in the letters column, people call me Rockmeister McCool. Which is one of the better nicknames. Yeah. I've had way worse nicknames than Rockmeister McCool. If I live several centuries, I'll never live up to it, but I'm glad I have it. (laughs) Well, if you have a, what you need is a statue made of rocks. Oh, I I need like a a, a monument. Yeah, a Rockmeister. A Rockmeister. To your McCool. Okay. I don't know how it works. (laughs) Anyway, welcome back to Cancel Too Soon. This is our flagship podcast, which uh, sadly has gone a little... A little irregular in the last few weeks, but we're back on track. We are here talking about a spy series from producer Glenn A. Larson, the creator of Battlestar Galactica, or co-creator, I think. And not just Battlestar Galactica. He is a star producer, and we'll get to his career in a minute. Oh, yeah. He's a big, big deal. We've Mm. talked about his shows before, but it's been a while. Uh, And this show that we're talking about here. It was selected by our Patreon subscribers over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Mm-hmm. And it's a show I've been wanting to get to for a while. I've heard it described as The Love Boat meets Mission Impossible, which is not a bad description at all. It turns out that's pretty apt. Pretty yeah. spot on. That's a, that's a good elevator pitch, <laughs> and it's an accurate <laughs> elevator pitch for a little show we call Masquerade. Thursday. The United States of America would like to invite you to come spy with me. Average Americans are recruited into the world of real spies. Untrained agents running around the world. New times require new methods. Everyday people are about to take on the KGB. Why? Your country needs you. Fly to Paris on the premiere of television's newest spy game, Masquerade. Thursday, starting at 9.30, 8.30 Central and Mountain, right after the premiere of Ottoman. Uh, so anyway, Masquerade, Glenn A. Larson. If you know that name. Uh, Glenn A. Larson, uh, if, if you are about our age, then you know Glenn A. Larson because he produced some of the biggest hit shows of like the late 70s and early 80s. And also some of the more famous bad shows. Indeed. Uh, so his big hits include b- both Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. Uh-huh. Uh, he did Quincy. He did the Hardy Boys show- shows. Uh, he did Knight Rider. He did Magnum P.I. B- uh, BJ and the Bear, and the, the Bear. Fall Guy. These were hit television shows. These were mm-hmm. big deals. People remember them even if they've never seen them. Yeah. And um, if you go back far enough in his career, he was actually one of the members of the four preps who uh, who appeared in what in uh, Gidget. Oh, wow. He, yeah, like he was an old... That I didn't know. Like, That's funny. ...doo-wop guy from the 50s. Uh, you know the song uh, 26 Miles Across the Sea? Uh, vaguely. 26 Miles Across the Sea. It's about Catalina. Okay. 
Pete, the island of romance, 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 romance. He, I'm getting that's, it. That's him. He, he was the 26 Miles guy. Okay. Before he became a TV producer. He's had a really interesting career. Oh, yeah, and he did everything. Mm. And we've covered some of the shows before. Perhaps most notably, and this is what show we got to pretty quick mm. in the Cancel Too Soon canon, so you have to go way back to listen to this episode. Uh, but in a show called Manimal, which was typically considered arguably the worst TV show like a lot of people, we show up on a lot of worst TV shows of yeah, all time well, lists, or at least most embarrassing, like weird short lived programs. Mm-hmm. And it was about a guy who could turn into animals. Yeah. Play, that was play, a show. Played by a very charming actor named Simon McCorkendale. Uh, he also, Manimal showed up on an episode of The Nightman. We reviewed that when we reviewed Manimal. Uh, which is also a Glenn A. Larson mm-hmm. joint. Uh, Glenn A. Larson also did uh, Galactica 1980, which was the weird, mostly forgotten mm-hmm. spinoff of Battlestar the Galactica. Uh, he did a show that we were trying to track down called Cover Up, uh, which starred the great John Eric Hexham and was the show that he was working on when he tragically died at way too young an age. Um, but uh, that was about a photographer and her model, but they're actually secret undercover spies. Mm. Um, he did shows like One West, Waikiki. He did shows like PSI, Love You. Oh, no. P- oh, yes. PSI stands for pounds per square inch. That's what you need to keep an eye on when you're filling your tires at the gas uh, station. But, uh, no, this was uh, this was a security investigation <coughs> show uh, involving, I believe, a woman who was pretending to be a psychic. I could be wrong about this. But uh, P-S-I-L-U-V-U was the phone number you call to get help from the P- Yes, from I the, love you. Yes, I love Oh, gosh. You. And we're not even talking about that show this week. No, no, no. I, I want to get to that at some point, mm. though, because it looks a lot of fun. Uh, no, we're talking about Masquerade. And the, but yeah, the ahead. concept of Masquerade uh-huh. is at the beginning of the series, there is a secret organization. Uh, they call it the NIA, like the National Intelligence yeah, Agency, because it, it's the, they didn't want to call it the CIA. It's like CTU. It's a spy organization they made up. It's a fictional, show, yeah. it's like UNCLE. It's a fictional spy organization. And at the beginning of the series, uh, all of their undercover operatives are blown. Mm. Like it's like the, the the first Mission Impossible movie where the whole point is to get a list of every single undercover agent. That happens in like the very first scene. Yeah. Of masquerade, and so now they have to run a spy organization, but they have no spies. <laughs> so it's up to uh, Rod Taylor and Kirstie Alley. Yeah, and a very early performance yeah. from Kirstie Alley. So and, before yeah. Cheers, before Star Trek, uh, and uh, Greg Evigan. Those are the three main characters. Yeah, they are. They're still spies. I'm guessing their their particular covers were not blown. Uh-huh. Uh, but they Greg have- Evigan, who you might know from BJ and the Bear, that was his big uh, claim mm-hmm. to fame. Uh, but I know him Look. best as the father of Brianna Evigan, the star of Step Up to the Streets. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't put that together. Yeah, okay, that's fun. The father of Brianna Evigan. Uh, he's. Uh, some people contacted us when we when we said uh, we were watching Masquerade. Evidently, he was a big sex symbol. Oh, was Greg he? Evigan. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I missed that. That wasn't yeah, like my he, generation. He, he, so. I mean, you, you look at somebody like John Eric Hexum to, to bring him up again. You can see, oh yeah, that that guy's like sex on toast. John Eric, if John uh, Eric Hexum was alive today, he oh. would be the biggest star. He'd be in every Marvel movie. He <laughs> yeah, would have been yeah. Thor. He would have been Thor. He would have been yeah. a great Thor. <laughs> like he was so. We did a show called Voyagers, mm. which is still one of the better shows. Like actual, just like really should not have been canceled. 
shows that we've ever done, and it co-starred this man, John Eric Hexum, who was on the brink of superstardom. Everyone could clearly tell he was charming, hmm. he was funny, he was a decent actor, and just handsome as hell. Yeah, he was he was like pin-up calendar handsome. Like, it's and, just, yeah. and, and, he, and he died tragically on on the set of one of his shows. It was a real, just unthinkable it, thing. It was it was an accident with a fake gun. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And, um... Man, that still killed. That that just hurts me every time. Every time <laughs> that, I think that we about no longer it, have John Eric Hexum. So, yeah. I, but uh, my point is, I see why John Eric Hexum would be a sex symbol. Yeah, because he's good looking, really good looking. Greg Evigan, he's fine. Maybe in a dad sort of way. I mean, um, maybe it's the role. I never watched BJ and the Bear. Maybe the oh, role maybe so. was sexy. Yeah, that's true. You that's know, true. like because here he's kind of like a. a he doesn't really have anything to do. He's a little flirtatious, but he doesn't get nearly as much to do as Kirstie Alley or mm. indeed any of the rotating or, guest stars. Yeah. And again, the point, the, the premise of Masquerade. Well, I was, I was getting to that. Yeah, you're getting to um, that. Uh, Rod Taylor plays a character named Mr. Lavender. <laughs> Sounds like a Batman villain. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Lavender opens every theme, theme segment holding out a card that says Masquerade on it saying, I, the U.S. government, I, and I would li- I'm the U.S. government, and I would like to invite you. To come spy with me, and he hands you, the viewer, the card, and the idea is he is going to trick all of the bad guys, and he, they run aground on several different horrible plots, mostly involving mm. uh, weapons. Yeah, and he has stealing to, weapons, yeah. stealing nuclear bombs. Yeah, they're, you know, they're most mostly imminent threats. Yeah, we- weapons shipments, uh, and he has to uh, figure out how to get close to these bad guys to stop them using. Civilians who are in choice positions to put themselves close to those people. Yeah. So, for example, there will be every episode. Uh, Lavender and Kirstie Alley and Greg mm-hmm. Greg uh, Greg Evigan, they come up with an elaborate scheme, yeah, not the, unlike you'd find in Mission Impossible. Na- you, you remember their names? Kirstie Alley is Casey Collins. Okay. And Greg Evigan is Danny Doyle. Uh, <laughs> I know. It sounds like Space Ghosts. Like kids sidekicks, I, Jane I, and Jace. I heard recently that uh, Stan Lee encouraged the creators of like superheroes, and he himself mm-hmm. uh, created them this way to have alliterative alliterative names because they're easier to remember. Because he could rem- he himself could remember them. Well, because he was writing dozens of comics yeah, a month so. at that point. It was just like yeah, he needed so, the yeah. Bru- Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, they, they, like he that helped him. And in fact, he if you read some early issues of of uh, Spider-Man, he's Peter Palmer. Cause what? He, he messed that up. Like, oh, I don't remember that at all. That's I, crazy. Yeah, you can, you can, there's, there are a few oh, early wow. issues where he's referred to as Peter Palmer. I remember they, when they did the Incredible <clears throat> Hulk TV series, mm. they changed Bruce Banner's name because they thought it sounded too, too cute. cartoony. Yeah. They changed it to David Banner. And so in the comics, they decided that David was Bruce Banner's middle name. His name is Bruce David Banner. Yeah, which is fine. Okay. It's a perfectly it's a perfectly normal sounding name. It's just, I think it's funny that they found a way to sneak it in there without the, actually the same character, without yeah. changing the character's name. I thought that was pretty pretty fair. Anyway, so yeah, um, so, yeah so like Casey, so they come Casey, up with Casey Collins and Danny Doyle. They come up with an elaborate scheme, and then it turns out their elaborate scheme needs people who have very specific skills. Like for example, okay, so here uh, in this episode, the bad guys work at the top of a skyscraper, so they enlist two window watchers. Yeah, who are professional window washers. They would be there anyway, mm. but now we're going to recruit them to work for the American government. Or we need someone who's really good at demolition, so they get civilian demolitions experts, played by Danny Most. 
Yeah, they, they and most in most of the episodes, each of these civilians they enlisted were played by notable celebrity guests. Here's John Saxon in one episode. Yeah, um, here's Ernest Borg now. Yeah, Ernest Borg. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the pilot has an amazing cast. The pilot is clearly a pilot that was designed to work whether or not we went to series. Uh-huh. Because every single civilian that they enlist for the pilot mm. is pretty recognizable even at the time yeah like there's a lot of them where it's like clue gulliger is in one and that's a pretty good get for the early 80s but nowadays a lot of people don't even know who he is oh what are you talking about everybody knows who clue gulliger is of course i'm sorry i forgot he pulls in 70 million dollars a film uh but like he's he's a he's he's, a respectable character actor but you can get clue gulliger is my point uh i i could get clue gulliger he comes to my movie theater i know he has a seat like (laughs) I'm serious. He like they have a seat reserved for Clue Gulliger for whenever he comes in at the New Beverly Cinema. I've never heard anyone say an unkind word about Clue Gulliger, but Cl- my Clue point Gulliger is, is an amazing dude. My point is he's a hardworking character actor. He's not a big get. Yeah. Every every once in a while, an episode will have a big get, but the first episode is full of big <laughs> get. So we got Ernest Borgnine in the pilot episode. We got mm. Rue McClanahan in the pilot episode. We got uh, uh, Sybil Shepherd. Yeah. In the pilot episode, I'm missing some people. Oh, Richard Roundtree is in Richard there. Richard Roundtree. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> Oliver Reed plays the bad guy yeah. in the opening episode. That's a great get. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, and the, oh, and that one character actor who plays the waiter. Um, oh, is um, um, uh, oh, Austin Pendleton. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Mm. So like, like it's, he, he, he's not a get. He's just an, an he, actor at the just, time. But, you're going to recognize him. You're going to be like, yeah. that guy. Uh-huh. Like You're going to know that guy. And so every single person in the pilot is a damn good get and that pilot pretty rock solid like it would be an okay movie from mm-hmm. the era maybe not a classic but you'd see that cast and you'd go well i'm running that mm-hmm. well, i'll check yeah, that one out once and you'd be fine it would yeah, be they have to catch the bad guy oliver reed who's yeah. you know evil and oliver reedy and uh part of their scheme involves getting him at a restaurant where they know he's going to eat and they can't send spies into the restaurant. Luckily, Austin Pendleton is a waiter there. Yeah. Um, so they get him hired. And yeah, like, and, and like uh, Rue McClanahan is just like at the next table. And uh, well, Rue McClanahan isn't in on it. She's Ernest Borgnine's wife, and he has to keep her in the dark. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's often... Cause so, the, so the gag is this. Mm. Here's the structure of every episode. Bad guys do bad guy thing. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lavender and Casey Collins and Greg Gavigan. Danny Doyle. Danny Doyle. Uh, they say, okay, well, we need to enlist a bunch of civilians. Mm. So they go enlisting civilians and they meet people in their regular jobs and they offer them the gig. It's the montage from every heist movie where you assemble the team, but you get one per episode. Mm. That's my jam. It is so, yeah. That's, they, I love. They, and they stick to it. Yeah, every episode's There's, got an assembling yeah. the, the, and, the team montage. And they have a briefing room. Yeah. Which which is on a plane? Yep, because the idea is almost all of so far. In fact, I think the first season, every single episode, they go to Europe except one where they go to Hawaii. Yeah, there's like it's an exotic location, and their their cover for all of these civilians and why they're in town is there's a uh, they they have a fake tourism company, mm. so they have a bus. That is in every single one of these cities, and they have to pretend to be running this tourism company. Kirstie Alley has to give a lot of like really half-hearted, like, and here's the st- uh, the stock the footage we have of this building, uh, and it cut. is very famous for these reasons. Ooh, look out the window! Cut to stock footage. Wow. <laughs> 
Um, and it plays a lot like a travel log. It really mm. does. It plays like we're just going to go to these famous places, and then we're going to blow up some stuff, and we're going to kidnap some guys, and there's going to be a car chase. But all the people involved, except for like those three main spies, mm. Rod Taylor, Greg Evigan, and, um, and Christy and, Alley. And they're all novices they're all amateurs none of them will ever come back to the show so theoretically a lot can go wrong mm. actually everything goes right pretty much every single time <laughs> but, but that's the that's the fantasy the fantasy yeah. is you in the audience could be selected for this to go on a fabulous european vacation and, and be a spy and be a spy it's basically it's, the, the fantasy vacation arnold schwarzenegger wanted a total in, in recall to, yeah I, he, I want to go to mars and also be a spy yeah the that's jo- masquerade the joke in that movie is he actually was a spy but uh yeah uh it's or was he? He was, he was a spy. No, he wasn't. In the original story... Yeah, I know. Uh, have you read the original short story, which is called... We Long can, time ago. We can remember it for you wholesale. Yeah. Where uh, he says, I, I, I want to go to this memory implant vacation, and I want to pretend to be a spy. And they try to put that in, and it doesn't work, because it turns out he actually was a spy. And yeah. if they reveal his secrets, like the world will come to an end. It's like, okay, in, in order to cover that up, we need to replace it with just something that we know can't possibly be true. So we're just gonna we're gonna put into his head that that he he witnessed a space alien landing, and of course the joke is he actually did witness a space <laughs> alien landing, so and that's great. the way the story ends. No, the the Bill K. Dick story is very very clear about what's real and what's not. The mm. jo- the uh, Paul Verhoeven movie is very intentionally unclear about whether it's all a dream or not. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Um, so that's the fantasy of the show. Every episode works within that structure. Every episode has new guest members, um, and that more or less works fine. Mm. Uh, we have to talk about the opening of Masquerade, specifically the opening credits, because they are glorious. <laughs> um, the the theme song is sung by Crystal Gale. How do I know Crystal Gale? Do I know a, Crystal Gale? She's a famous pop star. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not familiar with like what's a hit. Like what's a Crystal Gale? Oh, I don't know. Beloved, um, okay. Yeah, just I'll, look up Crystal Gale hits. You'll, looking, you'll know yeah. some of her songs. But um, yeah, Crystal Gale sings the uh, opening theme song. It's it's one of those like sexy, smoky, uh, kind of like soft core late night porno TV movie kind of <laughs> opening theme. So because there's like a lot of glory shots of these really beautiful women in really heavy eighties makeup, like flashing thigh and there's a lot of steam coming out of grates behind you know neon behind them and they're all using like little spy cameras and little spy widgets and in in the best spy widget oh my god uh, i want this so bad there's a woman and like there's a close-up of her face and she's got like the the gumshoe hat and she's eating an apple but then she turns around it turns out the apple is like little buttons on it and a a, an antenna (laughs) because it's it's the first apple phone it's the apple iphone it, it's an it Apple is. phone. That, I kept waiting for that phone to show up in the show because none, of, none um, of anything that has it in this opening sequence has anything to do with the show the itself. O- the only thing that has anything to do with the show is there'll be like a shot of Rod Taylor because he's mm-hmm. in the show, and there are some of the shots of like the tourism bus, like driving around exotic locales. Some of those shots are in the show. Mm. That's it. Everything else is just a bunch of random sexy people. They could be selling anything. <laughs> All right? They could be selling wristwatches. They could be selling lingerie. Yeah, yeah. There's a shot that's like like peers lovingly up a woman's leg while she when she's wearing sheer stockings and uh-oh, she's got a knife in the in her stockings. Mm. And I'm watching that, I'm just like, "Well, that's going to cause a run in her stockings. There should be a sheath for that." Uh, maybe those are bulletproof stockings, bulletproof spy stockings from <laughs> well, the Q doesn't, Lab. Doesn't need a knife at that yeah. point. Just kick someone with their legs. Um, and but the song isn't like <clears throat> the song isn't James Bond sexy badass. The the song 
Mm. could be a song from like any soap opera. Masquerade. We're in a masquerade. We're in a fantasy. Everything's gonna be okay. Masquerade. <laughs> I don't know the lyrics. I watched I watched this 13 times and I never I never picked up mm. all the lyrics. But it's just it it could be a butter commercial. I was thinking it's, of uh, do, do you remember do you remember Sundance at all? The drink like the beverage Called vaguely, Sundance, vaguely, and they used uh, uh, Van Morrison's Moon Dance, a variation in their commercials. If I saw it, I might recognize it. It was like a fruit flavored soda beverage, sure. and they they sold themselves as being fruit flavored, so less sugar, and and indeed there was less sugar than soda, so it was allowed in our house. We didn't weren't allowed to have soda, so we drank Sundance, and it had flavors like kiwi and lime cherry. And here I was drinking Butch. What the hell is Butch? I don't know, but it goes well with Sundance. <laughs> but is in it. I can't believe that took you a while. That took you a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, as soon as I got it, I didn't want it. <laughs> um. So anyway, Masquerade, Masquerade uh, aired from December fifteenth, nineteen eighty three, uh, through April twenty seventh, nineteen eighty four. Only twelve episodes actually aired, but a thirteenth was made and eventually aired in reruns, and we were able to see all thirteen. The whole yeah. thing. It premiered. Opposite, hold on, was it Simon and Simon? Yeah, premiered opposite Simon and Simon, premiered mm. opposite Knott's Landing and Hill Street Blues, and premiered right after on the ABC network, mm-hmm. Auto Man. The premiere <laughs> of Auto Man was preceded, was, was followed by the premiere of Masquerade. One of these days we will get to Auto Man. Auto Man was a v- attempt to basically do Tron the series. But uh, but the Tron, like the guy in the glowy suit who could like make holograms and stuff, he was like an artificial intelligence created by a cop to solve crimes. So eventually we will be doing Auto Man. Oh, for sure we're doing Auto Man. Yeah, I'm actually amazed it's taken this long to do Auto Man, mm. but by ma- God we'll get to it. It's a masquerade first. But yeah, uh, you, we laid out the premise, and uh, for the most part each episode cleaves pretty close to it. Yeah. Um, the three main spies, uh, Rod Taylor, Kirstie Alley, and Greg Evigan, uh, get a little closely involved. They do like running commentary as to what's going on, mm-hmm. um, which is my biggest complaint about the show. We don't care about them. Yeah, like they're, we're, they're, we're not here for them. They're the spies. We're here to live vicariously and see somebody go through a spy situation on their own, so we can sort of pit our own intellect against whatever situation there might be in. Here's what I would do. Oh, that was smart of them. <clears throat> Here's how I would use my skill set to do something a little bit differently. I would be ill-prepared for that. You're putting yourself in their scenario. Right. It's a show starring you, but it's also a show starring, I don't know, David Hemmings. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <He> <laughs> who's in, an episode, who's in yeah. the second episode? Um, I, I agree with that to an extent. They, they justify it thusly. There are certain things we cannot ask a civilian to do. We cannot ask a civilian to just kill somebody. Right. right. So they need to have like a couple of young, sexy spies. Eventually, they make it clear that... Because they use different spies every single week, mm-hmm. and this is what they've committed to at this NIA service. This it wasn't a one-time like scenario. This is their new modus operandi. Mm-hmm. The only spy that they have that anyone is actually familiar with and has any reputation is Lavender. So the the gag is Lavender. Wherever they go, everyone's zeroing in on him, and he looks like an invincible, unstoppable badass who has the best luck ever. Because everywhere he goes, he's got like people embedded already who are just <laughs> making everything look like it, it, fortune just favors the NIA. Mm. 
which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I actually I like it. Rod Taylor is an older man at this point, um, but I think he sells that kind of macho bravado. I buy that he could walk into any room, be no, cocky, and walk yeah, out he's, even if he's got blood guns. He's got the confidence. Yeah, yeah. it works. Um, so uh, so yeah, in the pilot episode, uh, they enlist a whole bunch of people. The pilot episode was directed by Peter H. Hunt, who did a lot of TV, but in movies, uh, he made his directorial debut directing 1776. Okay. The musical. Okay. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got Sybil Shepard, uh, who I believe is an actress in this one. I th- it's a, it's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a rude way to describe Sybil Shepard. Okay, Sybil <laughs> Shepard is a fine actor. But Sybil Shepard, in playing, I think, at this one, like a young ingenue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard Roundtree was a football star. Uh, he's basically playing a version of Mean Joe Green. He's playing Mean Willie Welters. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got Robert Morse uh, from How to Save Mrs. That Really Trying and a ton of other uh, great movies, you know, plays and shows. Uh, he plays a pickpocket. Uh, who they need mm-hmm. for a variety of uh, various things. Tom Atkins shows up in this episode. He plays a spy who gets killed at the beginning by Oliver Reed. <laughs> That's a hoot. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Ernest Borgnine plays. What is he? What's his gimmick? Like Borgnine's gimmick. I thought he was just Ernest Borgnine. Like he was just an ordinary. <laughs> like like he didn't have a skill set. They just needed an ordinary. No, they dude. they needed. They, he had a skill set, but it was like highly. No, he was a plumber. Oh, that's right. He was, he a, was plumber. a plumber. Yeah. Because one of the ge- so the plot in this one is Oliver Reed is up for a huge promotion at the Russian government, and Oliver Reed just killed the NAA's top agent and also released um, their knock list to the world. So he's yeah. so he's NIA's like arch nemesis at this point, and he is in potentially going to be put in charge of like the Russian intelligence agency, and that's like the worst case scenario for America at this point. So the scheme in this episode is to discredit him and make it so that he's completely shut out of the Russian government. So while he is trying to impress people who would give him a promotion, their scheme is to make him look like an alcoholic capitalist. So they do is they they get so a guy... It's, who, it's a good way to bring down a spy without worrying about murder. Yeah, it works, actually. So mm-hmm. the idea is they get a lookalike, they uh, get him to go to a restaurant and have the wildest drunken time ever so that the next night when Oliver Reed actually shows up to that restaurant, they're just like, it's so good to see you. Here's all the booze you like. Would you like more capitalist stuff? Would you like to charge that to your American credit card again? And they're and his like communist bosses are just like, all of this is highly suspicious. And Oliver Reed's just like, what? <laughs> oh my luck, oh God. Uh, there's a... Uh... Oliver, oh gosh, nobody can be annoyed like Oliver Reed. He's the best. He's got so much dignity, but he also deserves so much it's shit. Like, it's like it's like him and Herbert Lom are like, yeah. like, like experts at being annoyed. They're so good. But but the difference is Herbert Lom is never really threatening. Mm. Oliver Reed will fuck you up if you find out you ruined his life. And I, yeah. that's, that's good casting with his villain. The plumbing gag comes in when uh, they get Ernest Borgnine to go into Oliver Reed's house. And they get him to mess with all of his pipes so that instead of taking a shower with water, he takes a shower in vodka. And then when he goes, ah, like his bosses show up because they're staying in the same house. And it's just like, you smell like a bordello. That's that's pretty stupid. Isn't it quite stupid? It feels like the ending of a Revenge of the Nerds movie where yeah, we just yeah. have to discredit that tor- that horrible Dean. Oh my God, aliens! What are you spraying me with? Rum. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, 
And then, but at the end of the episode, everyone does their stuff. Everyone is totally heroic, and Mm -hmm. it's great. At the end of the episode, uh, Oliver Reed comes to Rod Taylor, like at the airport when they're about to leave, and he says, "I I would like to defect. I will give you everything you need. Here's what you need. I would like to defect because this is the only way he's going to survive. Because his bosses are convinced he's a liability and he's going to die." And Rod Taylor, who had offered him the chance to defect, suddenly says, "You know what? I changed my mind." off and then they're just gonna go kill Oliver Reed <laughs> this happens multiple times where there's all of these like cutesy shenanigans to try to like stop a horrible plot without killing anybody and then Rod Taylor just kills him anyway that, I've noticed that, that, there, that a, really a lot dark. of episodes end with Rod Taylor murdering them and, and if the whole point is Rod Taylor the known spy to kill a bad guy, surely he could do that without all of these shenanigans. You'd think, having right? To list all of these. The whole point. I mean, he, he got where, he got this, this information from Oliver Reed. But if you could solve this problem by just killing Oliver Reed, mm. you could have just done that. <laughs> it's just kind of making it weirdly elaborate. All right. So the second episode. The first episode, by the way, is like a two-parter, so it's like ninety minutes long, mm. and it plays really, really good. If you only watch one episode of Masquerade, that's the episode to watch. Oh, and and it's it's yeah, it's a movie. Yeah, it's basically a movie, but like it's it's standalone. It works. It's pretty. It got a really good cast. Mm-hmm. Bada bing. Uh, the next episode is called Diamonds, and this is one about diamonds. So the bad guy is a guy named Marlos. Yes, played by David Hemmings, the great mm-hmm. David Hemmings. You might know him from Deep Red or Blow Up. Um, mm-hmm. Really great actor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, he's uh, got some diamonds. Um, Problem with a show where the, no, well, it really he, there's a, there's a, such a distinct formula is that they kind of yeah. blur together a little bit yeah, and I get what, a little what, distinct. The MacGuffin it could be a weapon it could be diamonds it could be yeah. it's never drugs um, not in this show I, I think uh, in, well one time it's one time it's medicine but it's not narcotics like well, there's there's a plague somewhere and yeah, they stole all not, the medicine and they're holding it right. My point ransom. is it's not it's not ever heroin yeah. it's it's always. Um, yeah, it's always weapons, diamonds, or in one case, medicine. Yeah. Uh, and I forgot exactly what was being shipped, so let's just say it's weapons. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like because the episode is called Diamonds, it might be diamonds. I think it. I think it might be diamonds. I hear they're forever. They might uh, be diamonds, boy. They might be diamonds. But David Hemmings has has uh, he's taken the money and he's not giving it back. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's up to Mr. Lavender to. Infiltrate David Hemmings' uh, organization to get that sensitive material back. Yeah, the big star, at least the one that I recognize from mm-hmm. this episode that they get for like their um, civilian, is Eve Arden. Mm. Uh, the great Eve Arden, who was uh, the principal in Greece, she was in Mildred Pierce. Um, I think she was in Funny Face. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, oh. Maybe I'm wrong. She was in T for Two. Okay. He was in One Touch of Venus. Anyway, she's great. Um, and she plays a dog trainer. And they need her because not only is she a dog trainer, but she knows how to train dogs in German because this is going to be a German set episode. So there's the the big climax of this is like this huge heist they have to do and people have to like repel from one building to another. And she has, and by the way, Eve Arden's like, I don't know, like in her 60s at this point. Mm-hmm. So it's just really cool to see her like repel from building to building in a cat suit and then <laughs> land and then on the spot train attack dogs and like keep them there mm. while a whole bunch of other people just sort of rappel down onto the thing. It's actually kind of a fun yeah. gimmick and gag and um it works fine. David Hemmings is thwarted, and then Rod Taylor just murders his ass anyway. <laughs> Once again. I uh, wonder if the civilians would would 
feel conflicted about this if they knew Rod Taylor was just killing these guys whenever they're done. Anyway. Well, and he never and he never kills them in front of the civilians, if no. I recall. Like he always has them as a "now I have you cornered and I will kill you." And yeah, the civilians. It's a good thing they didn't see that. Um, also, in this episode is um, uh, what's his name? Is a voice actor um, named uh, Dick Gautier. That sounds familiar. He was like in. You probably saw his name in credits of like Transformers cartoons. There like he did a lot of voice acting at around this time. Okay. He he was Scooby Doo in a pup named Scooby Doo. So ah! there's a dog. There's a dog crossover. Okay, that's cool. A, a pup named Scooby Doo, a f- completely forgotten cartoon show, which is being adapted into a film. Yes, that's true. Actually, I remember. I liked the pup named Scooby Doo when I was a kid. Mm. It was re- It was as far as Scooby Doo shows go. It was pretty good. Had some good personality to it. It was pretty funny. The gag with the character whose name was literally Red Herring was okay. great. <laughs> every episode, there was this bully. He was like uh. Fred's bully, and his name was Red Herring. And Fred was always convinced in every episode that the bad guy would be Red Herring. Whenever they're just like, and the killer, or, or and the kidnapper is actually, and Fred goes, it was Red Herring. Here's my theory. And he gives an elaborate theory about how it was his bully. And it's never his bully. Except in one episode, where it was his bully. It's like that episode of House when it actually was Lupus. Exactly. Um, except, except House didn't make a big deal of yeah. out of it. Uh, episode three is pretty bonkers because it involves a kidnapping, a, a porn ring, and ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the one that takes place in Hawaii. Mm. Uh, there's a young woman and she's on vacation and someone scams her. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, if you're going to stay in Hawaii, I know where you can make some extra money. She's enlisted by a fake modeling agency, but actually they just kidnap people to make pornography. Mm. But the pornography is actually funded by the Yakuza, and the Yakuza (laughs) sends their ninjas to interrupt the middle of the porn shoot because the girl that they've kidnapped is also the daughter of a senator. (laughs) Yep. So now it's Operation Masquerade versus Ninjas. Which is pretty funny. We fell into this pretty fast. Um, (laughs) Just right off the deep end. One of the bad guys is played by uh, Clyde Kusatsu, who is actually a pretty well-known Japanese. No, uh, Clyde Kusatsu doesn't play the bad guy. He plays one of the good guys that they uh, bring in here. But his name, Mm. his character's name, is Sushi. So we have a long way to go. Uh, But actually, uh, James Shigeta plays the leader of the Yakuza. Um, He was a very prolific actor. He played uh, Mr. Takagi. In Die Hard, the guy okay, who was actually yeah, yeah. in charge of the, the industry. Mm. Um, really just reliable, successful, good character actor. You'd find him in everything. Yeah, the, the senator is played by uh, Peter Breck, um, who you probably don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so glad we brought that one up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in this one, this is also one of my favorite... Um, sort of civilian experts that they get because usually they get civilian experts who are like this person is a master sound editor or they're brilliant at visual effects or a master sharpshooter here they get an old lady who's a dangerous driver and that's that's her superpower she's yeah. not a good driver <laughs> yeah they also get this is actually one where um, a guy plays himself in this one um, he was a famous uh, baseball player I think Oh right, um, uh, what's his name? I don't remember. Steve Garvey. Steve Garvey. Yeah, so Steve Garvey actually plays himself. Steve Garvey was one. I think he was one of the Dodgers. He was a famous sports player, and they enlist him to be a distraction. Like you're a celebrity staying at the hotel, so we can kind of do whatever we want as long as we cage it with your fans are mm. freaking out. So like, oh, there's a big commotion in the hallway. Steve Carvey's staying on your floor. So we we have a, a known baseball star, the Yakuza, yeah, porn ring, child of a senator, 
in all in Hawaii, like in this exotic location. That's good television. That yeah, <laughs> that is good so, television. Masquerade knows what it's doing. No, I'll at its best, that. it does. At its best, it does. It 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 has a really really appealing presence. And here's where I'm going to start criticizing the show because okay. we've been describing all of this really cool stuff. We've been getting it on the details. There's a lot to like a lot about of, it. A lot of the stars are really appealing. Uh, a lot of you know they get. Um, we haven't talked about about Kirstie Alley. You can tell she's she doesn't get nearly enough to do in the show, but you can tell she was a star in the making. Yeah, she she has she has a lot more. Uh, charisma and presence than either of her male co-stars and uh, there's even an episode where she's asked to do like some pretty humiliating stuff she's like and she's just not taking it she doesn't stand up for it uh so she yeah she's got a lot of a lot of confidence why is everything moving so slowly it's so fucking annoying how slow the show is yeah why are we not getting big plot points or you know, unusual action sequences or sneaking break-in sequences yeah. or this show would never you know, there's, play there's out no, this there's pace There's no today. actual like drama or action or tension to any of this. They're just sort of, they're so busy moving the pieces around that mm. they're not bothering to actually tell a story, which is a weird thing to say about a, a show that has plots that are so elaborate I have trouble following them. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing with a lot of older television in general. And mm-hmm. the further you go back, and there actually hits like this moment where all of a sudden things get really exciting again, like at the dawn of television, and everyone was just trying to get your attention, but they only had 15 minutes, so they'd shove incident mm-hmm. inside of stuff, and everything happens really, really fast. But then around the 70s and the 80s, Things became really laid back and laconic. People's, that was just the aesthetic at the time, though. No, true, and, I get it. And, like, there was this sort of... Listen, we're, we're trying to sell commercials here, so we need everything to be kind of kind of laid back, kind of mm-hmm. slow. You didn't want... There's an idea behind this kind of pacing, mm-hmm. which doesn't work today, because now we have DVRs, mm-hmm. now we have home video, now we have streaming, where if you miss a part of an episode, you can see it. Mm-hmm. But... You don't want to, like... Speed past something well, when somebody's getting up to get a sandwich. Yeah, like, yeah. I, oh, I saw the first five minutes of Masquerade. I went. I had to go up and get a sandwich. Oh, no, someone called me on the phone. I come back eight minutes later, and I can't follow it anymore. Mm. That's a legitimate concern. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are just the way movies and TV shows are presented that are based off of the idea that the audience might be somewhat distracted. A classic example of this. Have you ever noticed that in movies and in TV shows, people call each other by their first names way more often than they do in real life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't actually say Whitney very often over (laughs) the course of this show. Mm. Like, on a typical show, we introduce ourselves, but I don't add every fifth sentence, Whitney. Mm. Why? I know his name. He knows I know his name. There's no one else I'm talking to. It's completely clear. However, if you're new to the show, if you walk in 30 minutes late into a movie, which was standard practice that happened all the time Mm. until around the 60s, uh... You might not know who the fuck anyone is, and so they're constantly reminding you of information that is a little redundant, but only if you've been there from Mm. the beginning. So, a show like Masquerade is paced way slower than it would be today, and I think if you rebooted it today and just had, like, a cool new cast of, like, recognizable character actors every week Mm. doing, like, their own heist and spy shit, that'd be a way better show. Uh, for the, sure, the formula is fine. The for yeah, the the formula is actually pretty great. It's pretty ingenious. It's um, 
It's exploitative in a way that I appreciate. It's like, <laughs> we're going to get celebrities. Oh, are you? Who you got? You know, I'm interested now. Yeah. Uh, ordinarily, that feels so cheap. It's like special guest star, Florence Henderson, whatever you got. But it all depends uh, on what they actually do in the episode. Yeah. Are they doing something cool? Well, and what I like is part of what's baked into the premise is that those guest stars are literally the guest stars. They're the main characters of whatever episode you're watching. Pretty much. Like, kind of like Taylor the, takes yeah. point, but then everyone else is like second yeah, and then like last the, is the love boat, the, the crew of the love boat. You know, they're in every episode, but it's the episodes are really about the crew. Yeah. The crew are there to help the guests who are on the love boat. Like Greg Evigan gets almost <clears throat> nothing to do ever. He usually flirts with one of like the sexier guest stars I, every yeah. week. It's pretty boring. He flirts a little bit with Kirstie Alley, but it's not so much a will they, won't they, as they're the only two people they yeah. know at this point. <laughs> and, as, as in, he, he he wants to and she says no. <laughs> and then Kirstie Alley usually gets a little bit more to do because she takes the undercover stuff more seriously. Mm-hmm. So you'll see her like at like a resort or on a cruise like leading an aerobics class right or like actually talking to concierges and things and doing her fake job mm-hmm. um and often and sometimes she's the one who has to like pretend to flirt with the bad guys so she can get under their skin someone made a point recently on twitter i can't remember who it was mm-hmm. about how female spies in movies are always expected to use their sexuality to get it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And with rare exception, no one ever asks a male spy to do that. Ethan Hunt has never had to do that. Um, James Bond has had to do it a couple of times, couple but of even times. that's not the usual. He usually just does it because he can. Well, and it... In, Luca, um, stop crinkling the... <laughs> you got him a crinkly toy. You got him a crinkly toy. That was your Christmas present to the cat. Well, okay. All I, right. I admit, I got him a crinkly toy. What All of right. it? <laughs> well, this is what, right now? Um... There, there was a tantalizing scene in uh, not the last James Bond film. Um, I know, I guess it, it was. What was which one was the one with um, Monica Bellucci? Uh, no, not the one with Monica Bellucci. Okay. Uh, Are you talking about Casino Royale? No, no, no. It's it, the... I can't remember if it was Skyfall or Spectre where the villain started coming on to him. It was Skyfall. It was Skyfall. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Javier Bardem mm. who starts sort of using the like starts he used to be, like. He used to be an agent. He starts using that sort of spy charm mm. on Bond, and like yeah, a little like, unnecessary physical contact. And the implication like is a, that Bond like, has Bond is pretty well, flexible. Well, it, it, he says it's like you know, you know, there's, he like kind of starts rubbing Bond's thighs and says, "There's a first time for everything." And Bond like looks him right in the eye and says, "What makes you think it would be the first time?" <laughs> and I very much appreciated that scene. I appreciated that, and yeah. I. Ugh, Golly, I wish they had just gone for it. Yeah. Like, he actually tries seducing the villain. Yeah. Why no, not? I mean, I, mean, you, yeah. I mean, we see all these movies like Red Sparrow and shit, where yeah. the, all of oh, yeah, Jennifer they're, they're, Lawrence's spy training is just, learning to, be, training, it's just yeah. learning to be sexually flexible. Mm. Male spies don't have to go through that training. Why is that? Because men are suckers. They are. Well, men expect... <laughs> men can be suckered by a pretty woman. It's because Women it's are always... smarter than that. No, it's because it's always the male fantasy being presented well, yeah, in yeah. these movies. The male fantasy is the male spy, the, the one the male audience members are supposed to project themselves into, will have women throwing themselves at him. He doesn't have to, like, do that. And all of the f- women in these movies mm. are, like, sort of trained to be the ideal sexual mm. partner... For everyone in the audience, yeah, like okay, yeah, she's evil, and if she, but if she encountered you, she would have sex with you. Mm. Like that's these movies the have thing. these movies have trained me to be very suspicious of like 
Russian women in really slinky red dresses in international bars. Yeah. If they come up to me and they're wearing long gloves and they have like, can I buy you a drink? My name is Kalinka. And I'm like, no, Kalinka. And it's so You're rude. definitely a spy. Kalinka yeah. was just being really polite. She yeah. recognized you from your podcasts. Yeah, she was Kal- going to have a great conversation with you if, about if, Russian cinema. If, yeah, if Kalinka just wanted to come up, buy me a gin and talk about Russian cinema, then, you know, I would have just rebuffed Kalinka. Yeah. Because Aren't you I, the assu- I assume she's a spy. Yeah. Movies did that to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a double standard. Um, so the next episode of uh, Masquerade is the Defector. Mm-hmm. In this one, there was a Defector, <laughs> and that's it. Pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. They have to, um, they have to get a guy uh, out of uh, mm-hmm. the Russian. Uh, he's like a scientist, and the Russians are going to use him for their evil uh, means. The uh, bigger. Uh, guest stars in this one. We've got Susan George, mm-hmm. who plays a bodyguard to celebrities, which was <laughs> kind of a nice little twist because Susan George was pretty famous by that point. Yeah, yeah. And she'd she's... already done Straw Dogs and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, but she's she... really good in this episode. I actually well, like her. A lot uh, we also have uh, Peter Donat, um, a really, really wonderful actor who's you've seen him in everything from like the China Syndrome to the X Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, in the Game more recently. I think he played Mulder's dad in the X Files. Yeah, yeah. Um, also in this episode, an actor I qu- I'm quite fond of and you might recognize without knowing his name mm-hmm. Kai Wolf oh I know Kai Wolf probably best known as uh, the the German from Three Amigos <laughs> like the evil guy who gets in a, in a quick draw contest mm-hmm. with Martin Short and Three Amigos a movie I love mm-hmm. um but uh, some I'm, look- pretty good oh, I'm looking at Kai Wolf's uh, uh, filmography mm-hmm. turns out he's been spending most of his time doing voice acting for video games yeah, a lot, a lot of like a Call lot, of Duty of, yeah. games, Tomb Raider, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's you know what? It's a good gig if you can get it. Prolific. <laughs> they have they need a ton of people. They need a ton of incidental voices nowadays. Not everyone's Just to like shout in a crowd. That sort yeah, of thing. Like and... they need people. Uh, he also we also ran into him uh, when we did the TV series based on Casablanca, where he played Lieutenant Heinz. That's right. He was like one of the main bad guys mm. in Casablanca. The series, which, again, if you're relatively new to our show, we did Casablanca a long time ago. Yeah, they turned Casablanca into a TV show. It co-starred a young Ray Liotta and Scatman <laughs> Crothers from The Shining and Ray- Hector Elizondo. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that was the thing. Ray Liotta was barely in it. Kind of was. Like, it was top build, and then he, he got, like... Because he was the young, two, sexy guy. Yeah, they like, never got around to shooting any two, scenes with Two him. scenes in one episode, and that Poor was guy. kind of it. Anyway, so they get the guy to defect. I honestly don't remember that much about them, other than I really like Susan George in it. Uh, the, again, you're, you talked about them all blending together. They are just a mass yeah. at this point. Uh, I actually finished watching this, like, about two weeks ago. <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I'm actually forgetting a lot of the details, so yeah, I apologize for that. You were way ahead of this one than mm. me. I, got, I had, because of Schmodown stuff and a bunch yeah. of other stuff, I was a little uh, busy. The next one is called Caribbean Holiday. Surprise, uh, this is about a Caribbean holiday. This well, was the one on a cruise ship. Is this the one with the gamblers? No, the gamblers is later. This is the one on a cruise ship mm. where there's a bunch of people who are going to like take over a banana republic, oh, and they've right. got like shipments of guns that are in like the cargo mm. hold. But they actually sabotage all the guns, so the guy who's going to sell all the guns gets like left out of the coup, and then that ruins the coup. And Bob's your uncle. Everything's kind of okay. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a nondescript episode the, overall, and it's, frankly, it's none of, of the, the stars in this one are particularly big stars. Well, they, they weren't big stars. They were uh, 
I mean, if, if you watch TV uh, from a certain era long enough, you start to see, you know, familiar faces crop up. Yeah. Every single actor in this episode was somebody I could not identify, but was very, very familiar to me. You know who I always have trouble with is uh, James McMullen, mm-hmm. uh, who is in a lot of shows that we do. He starred in Beyond Westworld. That's right. And one of their complaints with the show Beyond Westworld, which was the first television series based on Westworld mm. uh, back in the early 1980s. Uh, is that the star was too nondescript. And I know that because every single time he shows up in a, in a show, I'm like, how do I know him? And I'm like, well, I've seen like 40 episodes of television with this guy. <laughs> and and like, I can never remember him. Here's He's a, fine. Here's how you remember Jim McMullen. And I, this is how I know Jim McMullen. Jim McMullen uh, authored a series of incredibly popular children's books. The first one was called I Stink! Exclamation point about a talking garbage truck. And the other one was I'm Dirty, about a, a backhoe loader. It was uh. about, you know, talking anthropomorphic vehicles, just describing their jobs. Okay. Jim McMullen authored this. You can go on Amazon Prime right now and watch The Stinky and Dirty Show, an animated series based on the works of Jim McMullen. <laughs> so okay. he actually has this entire side enterprise. He passed away, sadly, last year. Uh, but, yeah, his, his legacy lives on in The Stinky and Dirty Show. Nice. All right, so, uh, so the next episode mm. um, is called... Hold on, I just had it in front of <laughs> You lost the episode. I'm working on five days, and in this one, mm. I have no memory of this episode. This is the women's prison episode. I know! There's always a... Pr- they, they made a joke about this in some show that we did where... Mm. Um, there's always an episode of a TV show where in order to break out of a prison, we have to break into a prison. Yeah. This is that episode. Mm. Uh, Kirstie Alley well, is in prison, and Rod Taylor pretends to be like an evil commissioner. They're, and, they're trying to yeah. locate a missing submarine. and You know, uh, in a well, woman's uh, prison, uh, like you do. Well, a young woman like had evidence as to where it was, and she was arrested and went to prison before she could give it to the spies, so Kirstie Alley has to go into the prison to get it from her. I don't know um, why I don't remember this episode. I, well, I just watched I th- this. I think we you don't remember this episode is because this is one where they stray from the premise. They actually mm. don't require a lot of civilian help because they're going into a prison. What are they going to recruit prisoners? It. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, it's, it's fun if they it's, did. It's more about Kirstie Alley. Yeah. And her character and how she says it's really unfair because women actually have much harder work than men. Men get to, you know, pull the trigger, but you know, the women actually have to do a lot of this reconnaissance. And so mm. it, it actually this episode only serves to highlight how uneven the labor is spread between the three lead characters. <laughs> All right, uh, so the next episode is called Oil! And it's based, it's based on the Sinclair Lewis novel. Yes, it is. It was adapted into a film called There Will Be Blood. Yep, thank you, Masquerade, for giving us that timeless classic. Uh, no, this is the one, this is the this is the Muslim terrorism episode, mm. but it doesn't stop there. It gets pretty kooky. So terrorists have kidnapped a whole bunch of people, and they're going to blow them all up. Uh, unless uh, their demands are met and the United States releases a whole bunch of their hostages. Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, the our team includes a, a con artist, uh-huh. a coal miner, <laughs> a college professor, and a special effects team. The special effects team is cool. The special effects team is a really good one. So, um, well, it's, a, it's a cool idea. I was... L- Okay, FX, the 1984 thriller. Oh my god, one of the best movies of the 80s. Just a brilliant idea because it's 
It's a great thriller. It's a great idea. It's about a special effects technician who runs afoul of bad guys and has to use his skills at making special effects to hoodwink them. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's enlisted by the CIA to fake the death of mm-hmm. a mafioso so he can go into witness protection and make it look real, all real with squibs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And in order to make it look real, he has to pretend to do the hit himself. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out he actually killed the guy and it was all like, like they, an inside yeah, job. Gang, so now guns, he's America's yeah. most wanted. He, like The mafia wants mm-hmm. him. The CIA wants him. And so he's got to like use all of his makeup skills and explosive skills mm-hmm. and his smoke and mirror skills. And it's Awesome. Well, it's awesome because a that's a great idea, but b it, it has this kind of meta metaphysical quality to it mm-hmm. because we're essentially p- pulling the curtain back on the way movie special effects work There's a, and how they're kind of meant to trick us and they can actually trick us in real life. One of my favorite car chases is in that movie mm-hmm. because it's him and his assistant in their like practical effects van and they're driving around the streets of New York City and the cops are chasing after them and then the doors of the van open up mm-hmm. and his assistant straps herself in and starts throwing visual effects at them more or less yeah it's like so cool like smoke bombs and stuff and fake bodies and it's it, neat it, it's so neat it also led to FX2 the deadly art of illusion which is comparatively just completely bonkers they have special effects like a robot clown that can match your movements if you wear the robot clown suit. They it's, get uh, a lot of they get a lot of mileage off of that, though. It's true that they they use it cleverly. It's just something yeah. that doesn't exist. Yeah, it still does. <laughs> it would be like instead of having motion capture suits, you put on a motion instead capture of, suit, and there's a robot across the room that just does whatever you do, but with superhuman strength. That's that's a brilliant idea. I wish yeah, special cool. effects technicians had invented something like that. But I yeah. know. The, the sequel is ridiculous. It's fun. The original is a classic. I think it, I, it's, I think it's, they're both good. Just in different ways. I think the original is an undeniable, straight up classic mm. thriller that nobody yeah, talks so, about anymore. And please see mm. FX, just the letters F and X. F, see F, that movie. Slash X, yeah. Um, see that movie if you have, and you're going to love it. Yeah, uh, we have uh, Clue Gulliger in this episode mm-hmm. uh, as, as uh, well, as the Clue Gulliger role. Um, yeah. uh, you got Christopher Marr, uh, who was a very prolific character actor. Well, actually not that prolific, but I know him from everything. Mm-hmm. He was a mannequin. He was an executive decision. He was a very reliable, good presence. Yeah, well, one, one of the bad guys played by Gregory Sierra, who's who you've rec- who you would recognize. Um, and Christopher Knight, who is one of the Brady kids. Uh, so actually, I got it mixed up. I was thinking about Gregory Sierra, and you were thinking about the other guy. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. Well, okay. in any case, <laughs> anyway, Gregory Sierra is awesome. And, and Christopher Knight, who is one of the Brady kids. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Not, not, not Greg, he was... Christopher Knight? I have no idea which one he was. Bobby he was Bobby He was one of the others. I think he was Bobby. Who cares? No. No, it was Peter. I don't care. <laughs> it was Peter Brady. I literally don't care. I think Christopher Knight was Peter Brady. Anyway, the whole thing is they have to, like, they get a college professor so they can go inside underground catacombs. Uh. And uh, then they get Clue Gulliger so he can, like, break down walls without, like, destroying all of these, like, classic important mm-hmm. works of literature, of architecture. And then they, like, st- they kidnap the main bad guy, and then they fake it so that it looks like he's been in a prison for, like, seven months, but, like, been <laughs> unconscious, and now he's like, oh, my p- whole plan failed, so now he gives them a bunch mm-hmm. of information, and he uses, like, they use his voice code to deactivate the bomb. It's a Mission Impossible gag. Yeah. Still yeah. works. Uh, it's fine. It's good it's episode. Fine, yeah. It's actually one of the better episodes uh-huh. of the show. Do we skip the episode with the voiceover actress who just happens to be an expert marksman? No, not yet. I okay, we've done I don't, that I don't one think yet. we've done that one. That's one of my I, I think favorite. that's the next one. I think okay. the, that's the one with John Saxon. Uh, the French Correction. Yeah. Yes, this is the one with John Saxon. This is the one Saxon. with John Saxon. Um, okay. So John Saxon, you know John Saxon, Enter the you, Dragon, Nightmare, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, 
Mm. Solid actor. Uh, Garrett Morris from the early days of SNL and uh, Don Most play explosives experts in this one. <laughs> and uh, Alana Stewart plays a voice. It turns out it's like, you know, like in uh, Team America where the whole thing is he's an actor, but he's also a master of multiple different languages. And that's what they need. Yeah. It's like that. So they enlist her because she's fluent in French and she does like French voiceover dubbing in movies. Mm. But and then they and so they get her like an ADR session and she's just, you know, throwing up the French dialogue over an American movie and then Greg Evigan's just like, "Yes, well, you are, you are a very talented actor and you know, and you're fluent in French, but you're also one of the greatest marksmen in America." And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." <laughs> just throwing that one in there. And I actually really love her in this because she's having so much fun. She gets to shoot the guns out of people's hands. And then there's like a one bit where she has to like pretend to try to assassinate this guy and curse and she's really nervous. She's like, Why are you nervous? This is the easiest thing in the world. It's like, yeah, I'm not used to having to miss. I'm really nervous. I'm just going to hit him by accident. <laughs> and uh, the gag with John Saxon, and this is what I thought the show was going to be more about, was yeah. John Saxon uh, has a wife, sort of like the Ernest Borgnine character in the pilot, uh, who he has to sort of convinced to sort of like stand aside and not ask questions while he does his mission. Mm -hmm. So he's actually spending the bulk of the episode concerned about the state of his marriage. Yeah, the, he, John Saxon was deported uh, for racketeering. It turns out his brother was a mafioso. John Saxon always purported that although he enjoyed living adjacent to his brother and mooching off of his lifestyle, he never did anything criminal. Mm -hmm. He moved back into the United States under an assumed identity. They've been living completely unassuming, law-abiding lives for nine years. Rod Taylor shows up and says, hey, listen, you've still got all these connections. We, we need you. And this is another thing where usually they just offer people what they would make in a year. That's right. The, the, um, that's one of the conceits. Is yeah, that this is we're going to we give you give. one year's salary. There's actually a fun gag though, where like that famous uh, baseball player Rod Taylor is like, "We can't afford that." Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for that. So he agrees to do it out of a sense of personal duty. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but for John Saxon, you know, they don't explicitly say it, but at the end, he gets like his passport back and his identity back, and he's mm -hmm. allowed to live in the country legally. Which I think is also, I mean, it's a little dubious. But it's also kind of how this should work. It shouldn't just be for money. I feel like you should get something really meaningful out of it. It's like mm -hmm. the end of Sneakers, where everyone gets, like, one wish. Yeah. And the wishes are mostly things that can be done, like an all-expenses-paid trip to Tahiti or whatever, you know? like. But then David Strathairn says, I want peace on Earth and goodwill toward men. Uh, we're the United we're States just, government. We, we don't, don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> and Robert Redford, just with that charming smile, says, you're just going to have to try. Okay, I'll see okay. what we can do. <laughs> and then David, David Strathairn says, thank you. It's all, all I, I ask. <laughs> Sneakers is the best movie. Sne Sneakers is, is the best movie ever right. made. So the next episode, this is my other this is one of my other favorite episodes. This is winner, right. this is winnings, this is the gambling This episode. is the gambling episode. I love any episode of a show or any movie which involves taking down a casino. <laughs> it's always fun. It's fun and I think not that I hate casinos. I don't think they're evil. I think we all know what a casino does. They invite you in. They say, hey, you could win a lot of money, and you say, ha, casino, I know you're lying, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you play the roulette? Ooh, there's a chance I might win big. Wow, look at how big and expensive this casino is. Do you think it got this big by paying out? No, I think it's keeping my money, but yeah. I'll play anyway. But at the same time, you know that they're suckering people, and they'll earn their money back. Yeah. 
casino's not going to close, so it's okay to steal a bunch of money from a casino. There's nothing ethically wrong with stealing from a casino. <laughs> no, because like, they I've make seen, their money stealing from you. Also, I've seen the movie Casino, so yeah, I know how, to, how corrupt everything is. All right, so this one's got a pretty good cast. we got Claude Akins. Um, and, and these are all gamblers this time. Yeah, they're, every they, single yeah. person has a similar similar uh, uh, mm. skill set because they're basically doing Casino Royale where there's a guy who runs this casino and they need to break the bank. Uh-huh. They need to completely destroy his finances in one night. Mm-hmm. So they get all of the best like con artists, charlatans, professional gamblers that they could find, in, and they get them all in cahoots mm-hmm. together so that they can all basically destroy mm-hmm. this casino. And one of the gags is that Claude Akins, um, who you know from like Battle for the Planet of the Apes, and I think yeah. he was Sheriff Lobo, and um, he's been around. Yeah, recognizable actor. Um, he's there with his wife, and he, they, he's, they're both in an organization. It's not Gamblers Anonymous, because they didn't want to mm. have the association with the real uh, industry. It's called Suckers Anonymous, which is kind of funny. Mm. Um, and the gag is, she, she's like, don't you dare gamble. And then she accidentally starts gambling, mm. and she just keeps winning, no matter what. <laughs> and she actually is really helps be responsible for breaking the bank just by actually winning. It, it's if you've seen the movie Bubble of Flambeur, um, yeah. The, the, yeah, it reminded me of that. Um, my favorite character was Alamo Dolly. She's just sort of a, a, a sassy kind of cowboy, cowgirl gambler. Yeah, uh, who's just really, uh, really confident. Uh, There's also um, Art Matrano, who we just saw in the Police Academy movies. Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the guy who played Mouser, he plays one of the gamblers as well. Yep, who we got here? We got Lloyd Bachner, who played the uh, the mayor on Batman the Animated Series. That's where I know him most from. But he's hmm. another um, really it? prolific guy. He was in Millennium. He was in Naked Gun Two and a Half and Smell of Fear. <laughs> uh, good, good again yeah. with the show with this many prominent roles for guest stars. You get a ton of recognizable actors, and it's always just a bit of a who's who. Um, yeah. So yeah, we got Anne Prentice in this one from My Stepmother no. is an Alien. She played the voice of the purse. Oh, the yeah, eyeball yeah. in it. Um, now, um, we're, we're of the age where we were young and we're old enough that when these shows aired, we kind of like started seeing a lot of these actors kind of on the regular just by casual TV consumption. Right. If, if you're like in high school right now... You, you will not recognize any of these people. You they're, might recognize one or two. Maybe one or Some, two. A lot of these if, people were prolific character actors to this uh, day. Yeah, but uh, the, the the actress who played uh, Alamo Dolly, uh, Randy Oaks is her name, mm-hmm. she doesn't have like one starring role that you might recognize her. Unless you really but saw you a lot were, of reruns of Chips. Yeah, if, if you're grazing on Chips and Fantasy Island, it's like, oh, and you know, here she is in one episode of Battlestar Galactica, you'd recognize her. Yeah. I mean, that, but that's true for yeah. character actors of any time. We talk about yeah. this whenever like a character actor passes away mm. and you realize that we've lost not only that character actor but that character that type yeah yeah we don't have like um oh who was the guy who was in um oh i'm so embarrassed i forgot his name who i think you have john polito maybe john polito okay right. uh, yeah john polito we don't have another John Polito. <laughs> no, there's no John Polito in training. Mm. He was a very specific mm. character that people wrote <laughs> roles around. Who are you, man? I'm a brother Seamus. A brother Seamus? What, like an Irish monk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Big Lebowski there. Classic. Yeah, John um, John Polito was, was the other, like, sort of squat detective. He played squat detectives a lot. Yeah, played a lot of squat detectives, mm. played a lot of uh, gumshoes and mm. uh, criminals and crooked so-and-sos. He, yeah. was the, he was the guy who owned the pawn shop in The Crow. 
Yeah, it, I yeah. think I think if uh, uh, this is not really well known about John Polito, but he had a cigar permanently affixed to his hand. <laughs> I believe that. That's not true, but he's, he t- I, se- I seem to picture him holding a cigar a lot, even though he probably only did yeah. that in a couple of movies. All right, let's see what we got here. The next episode was The Sleeper. Uh, and this is, there's American Ed General who is a double agent. <laughs> You're just reading uh, the, the yeah, synopsis I'm, trying to, now, I'm yeah. trying to remember this one at all. I just gone. Mm. Uh, I don't remember that episode. Mm. Uh, Spanish Gambit. Uh, we'll just skip over that one, the sleeper. Yeah, uh, do you remember the sleeper? Uh, again, these these are, are kind of um, kind of blending together the uh, um, the the Rio episode was the last one that I really kind of remember. So yeah, there was one about a sleeper agent. Uh, there was one where they tried to track down Soviets in Spain. Um, the actual stories, yeah, are just sort of blending together, and I'm starting because to... it's kind of the same story over and over again. Yeah. Like they, you trick people into thinking things, and then they think those things, mm. and now we're good. So the Spanish Gambit, I watched it yesterday. I don't <laughs> remember it at all. But Tab Hunter was in one of these. I don't remember that one either. And we should remember because it was Tab freaking Hunter, right? Um, there is one where they go to Rio de Janeiro, which is you know really exciting because I think they shot uh, some establishing shots in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes they'll be like, "Oh yes, we're in Rio de Janeiro." Like, oh, the last episode, for example, is a good example. Of this. Mm-hmm. The last episode is called Flashpoint. This is one where they actually steal like weaponized plutonium. This is another one that has a really rock solid cast because in addition to having Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica, Richard Lynch mm-hmm. uh, from Battlestar Galactica 1980s, uh, uh, we've also got Ruth Buzzy. Mm-hmm. We've got Sybil Danning, who plays a Russian spy who has to team up with Rod Taylor without ever knowing about a secret network. Um, and uh, we've got Cindy Morgan uh, in this sucker. She was in Tron and Caddyshack. Yeah. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty, pretty good one. But this is one where like, it takes place in wherever it is. And there's like secret plutonium hidden somewhere. And they're just like, oh, well, my... How would it be shielded so that people wouldn't detect the radiation? Mm. Well, we need to find a place where like it's predominantly built with these metals because these metals would shield radiation. And it's like, oh, what about the observatory? Yeah, the observatory would be great because it would be you know you, you could control the temperature really easily, and mm. it's got all these you know great whatever. And then they just go to Griffith Park. Uh, it is an observatory. Well, it is, but it's, you, Griffith, look, but it's okay. very specifically the. It's the if Griffith you've seen Park, yeah. Rebel Without a Cause, you know that that's in California. Well, and and you and I say, oh, it's just Griffith Park. You and I can drive to Griffith Park. You know, even we can even do it in, right now. In heavy traffic, we can get there in ninety minutes. In light traffic, you can get there in this 45. time of day, two hours. You think so? I think two hours. Maybe so. Maybe yeah. maybe traffic pa- traffic is bad in L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to see like. Just how shitty the weather is, you go to Griffith Observatory. You can just you just, can see the brown haze around can, downtown LA. Can you see uh, downtown LA? That's yeah. the real if, question. If you can see it, it's a pretty good day. If you kind of have to f- fight through a big icky brown cloud. I grew up in Pasadena, California, and mm. if you've never been there, um, it's actually like at the base of some mountains. Mount Whitney is, mm. is right over there, for I, example. And I was named after Mount Whitney. I know you were. Mm. Uh, but anyway, you could drive to the mountains. Mm. From my house, growing up, in maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. And that's in bad traffic. Yeah. It's right there. And then you just start driving up the mountains and they're there. So there's my house and there's the mountains and you can see them. Mm. And when I was growing up, you could tell a day was smoggy if you couldn't see the mountains from my house. (laughs) Which was a 15 minute drive away. Which was not uncommon. 
That well, was and, a, that was about yeah, half the year. You couldn't see mountains. Everyone and they were said, right fucking yeah. there. Uh, the, the people who say, oh, we don't need to regulate air quality. No, you know why it's clear? Because it's regulated right yeah. now. Um, and since they started there, like passing all that legislation, the air quality in California, which still isn't good. No, it's quite bad. Has improved mm. so dramatically. You can find old photographs of like downtown Los Angeles from like the 40s to the 70s. And you yeah, you can't see the end of the block. It's so smoggy. Anyway, so I'm trying to think of like an example. But like, we're, if we're, you're think, you're, you're think, you were saying that they're just just going to Griffith Observatory. Okay, we know where it is. It's close to our house. They're probably shooting in L.A. They're just driving up the hill. It's not a big deal for them. I know. People who don't live in L.A., that's kind of an exotic location. It's like the Hollywood I, sign. You know, for us, it's just a thing on a hill. For, but my point is know. that they, they would recognize the Hollywood sign if they went there. And I think mm. Griffith Park is not an unrecognizable... Well, they shot The Rocketeer there. There's a ton of movies that have shot yeah. there and just called it what it was, Griffith Park Observatory. It's a good observatory. You should go there. They have cool shows. Oh, yeah. But, um, but anyway, so for me, I got a big chuckle out of that because it's supposed to be all these exotic locales and they just, just drive go up, up the, the hill, street. Yeah. It's a Griffith Observatory. Which is, they do, because Los Angeles and its surrounding areas have a ton of different mm. types of environments and buildings, and you could fake almost anything. Mm. You, almost. You could try to fake everything. Uh, depends, if, on, if you, depends on how ambitious you are. I you suppose, couldn't do, yeah, like you a, could, you couldn't do a car chase, mm. but if you needed like an exterior that looks like Madrid, you could find a building and fake it. Fair. You know? Fair. Like yeah, you'd yeah. be like, oh, going outside of this building, which seemed to look like it could be in Madrid. Mm. We can find you Never a couple mind. of buildings. That's, that's and, on Melrose, but you know. Yeah, but yeah. but here, this angle, like seven, seven was supposed to like take place in kind of New York City. They shot it in downtown LA. Uh-huh. Because they knew like this corner, this alleyway, Would this it, looks like at least evoke yeah, New York. You find the right this, this is what location scouting is all about. Mm. Sometimes it's about finding the actual location, but usually you can't shoot in an actual location. You need to find something that looks just about right. <laughs> and it's like, okay, as long as you shoot it from this angle and you don't get that Coca-Cola sign, yeah. you're totally going to believe that this is the Rio Grande. Yeah. But we're not actually going to go there. It's like, there, there are so many movies where it's like, oh no, here we are, lost in the woods, but I know like where in, in Topanga Canyon they are. Exactly. It's like, yeah, turn, turn your head 30 degrees and you'll see the Pacific Coast Highway. But anyway, Flashpoint, I'm glad we went out on Flashpoint because Flashpoint was a reminder of kind of what the show could be at its best. Had a really solid group of guest stars for the episode. Mm. They all had a lot of personality. Ruth Buzzy playing this like computer hacker, but she's also just really forgetful. And like her husband is there too. He's been kind of recruited, but he doesn't have much to do. And he's always just trying to be helpful, even though mm-hmm. he has nothing to contribute. And it turns out the main thing he can contribute is because Ruth Buzzy has so much anxiety, he just keeps her calm. <laughs> like it, that's really cute. And they got some good villains in this one. Sybil mm. Danning is great. Like yeah, this is one of like there's like five episodes of Masquerade mm. that are really good. The the pilot, the last episode, the gambling episode, um, yeah. the the ninja episode, the ninja episode, the. It's probably one other, but like yeah, four, and four or five really solid episodes. Good, solid episodes in that they have good character work, and most importantly, I said this before, they stick to the premise. Yeah, the premise is a really good premise. Um, when they stray from the premise, like in the women in prison episode, it's less interesting to me. Of course it is. Um, I, I like Kirstie Alley and I like her character, but mm-hmm. I like. If you want to do a, sp- a story that's just Kirstie Alley as a spy, I'm on board. Yeah, yeah, but. They're, I feel those characters should be supporting characters. I think they're like the the people who own the antique shop in Friday the 13th, the series. <laughs> it's like they come in at the end and they clean things up, but they're never the protagonists. Not, oh, like maybe usually. once or twice they were the protagonists. Yeah. 
Like the old guy was a protagonist in one where he like there's a, found, there's, a, there's a handful where they yeah. actually have something important to do outside of the pilot. But usually yeah. it's about whoever happened to find a. By the way, if you've never seen Friday Thirteenth the series, I just realized there might be some young people who don't remember it. it has mm. nothing to do with Jason Voorhees. No, it's called Friday the Thirteenth the series. The premise of the show is uh, an antique shop was actually a secret repository for items that were haunted and cursed. Yeah, and a lot of these items. Uh, I, the, the, original, said, the original owner, owner died, and, and, and a lot of these things sort of made their way out into the public, and yeah. now the new they, owners... They liquidated everything yeah. before, like, the guy who actually knew that they were cursed could get there and say, don't sell anything! Yeah. So, the, uh, uh, an old man who owns the shop and two younger people who have no character uh, have to... One of them's a redhead. One of them, yeah, okay. That's it. That's what we got she, for character. She, she has red hair. Um... <laughs> Yeah, the, but the premise of the show is we actually start with the object and some random stranger who comes upon it, and the, the gag with each of the objects is they can grant a wish, but they demand a blood sacrifice. That's pretty much every single cursed object. Right. Uh, like, it it will turn you into a werewolf, because that's what you've always wanted, but you have to kill people. Uh, it'll make you a great magician, but you have to kill people. It'll... Mm-hmm. You, you can cure, cure the sick. Illness. Yeah, yeah exactly. cure the Cure an but illness, you but you've got to kill people. Yeah. Uh, and... Perfectly, the, perfectly decent anthology. And, we, and, we got, and what I love about that concept is it's about how ordinary people fall, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they succumb to the temptation, and then our heroes come in at the end and just sort of take the cursed object and bring it back to the antique shop. They recently released all of Friday the Thirteenth the series on DVD in a very affordable set. Mm. Um, I also uh, uh, there's a book written about Friday the Thirteenth the series that a friend of mine wrote. You should definitely check out as well. Um, it's it's a fun show. David Cronenberg directed an episode. I think Adam McGoin right. directed an episode of Memories. Oh no, okay. it's a Canadian. It's a Canadian show. show. So um, uh, I could be wrong about that. I think. Adam but but uh, what I like about that show is that it is about the fall of the ordinary person, and it's about that character. And it's yeah. it's very rare. Like uh, the investigators, the people trying to get the cursed object, usually show up in the second half, and they do like some investigating and try to stop the bad guy. But Luca, stop, stop fiddling with. While them. they're ostensibly the heroes, they're never the, the protagonists, and uh, I feel the same way about the spies in Masquerade. They yeah. should never ever be the protagonists. They should gather the team, and then they should back the f off. And mm. I feel like the more active a role they played in whatever the spy shenanigans were, yeah. the less interesting the show was. Generally speaking, I yeah. want to see John Saxon get instructions over an apple, and then go about. <laughs> His his adventure, like trying to do yeah. these spy things, and only the ordinary people are instructing, and then occasionally Kirstie Alley will appeal behind a bar and say, "No, you got to go over there." Well, I feel and like then that's she'll what they were, duck away. I feel like that's what they were getting at. I think mm. the idea was you get Rod Taylor because you need someone to actually be a point man, because mm. otherwise, who's running this thing? You need someone to run the show. Well, no, exactly. You, you get they, Rod they, Taylor, but as soon as they give people the mission, they should be out of the episode except for maybe like a scene. Well, they need to they need to give them instruction. They're still amateurs. I think the idea with Kirstie Alley and Greg Evigan mm. is that the show actually needed them. I think they thought that the show wouldn't have enough sex appeal if there weren't sexy stars in every single episode mm. with some will-they-or-won't-they chemistry. I, I, suppose I think so. that's what they were getting. I think that's what they wanted. I think they forced it. Greg they, they didn't have any chemistry. Not really. Yeah. No, I mean, like, Kirstie yeah. Alley, at that point in her career, could have chemistry with the refrigerator. Like, she's just, <laughs> she's just really charming and, mm. and smart and very attractive, and it worked. Greg Evigan's okay, but they never, like... He never even really has an attitude. He's just affable and one, and is down mm. to fuck. Like that's kind <laughs> of it. There's one episode where they like rescue like a sex worker from like a job where she was basically held basically prisoner by a mafioso because he was she was his favorite. Mm. And they rescue her and they just she's just like, well, What am I supposed to do? And they're like, Well, whatever you want. Here's a bunch of money. 
if you want to get a job, learn a vocation, use mm-hmm. the money, do whatever you want. And she's like, well, is there any way I could repay you for this? And Greg was like, I can think of a few ways. Mm-hmm. And Rod Taylor's like, you fucking horrible sleezoid. <laughs> but he only says it with his eyes. <laughs> anyway, that is Masquerade. Question for you, Whitney mm-hmm. Seibold. Yeah. Because we know what would happen in 100 episodes. It'd be the same episode over and over again with well, new guest stars. Which is fine, because that's the way a show like this is set that's up. That's the yeah. premise. Was Masquerade canceled too soon? Here's the thing. We said five good episodes. At, at least five rock solid. And I, unequivocally good. I love this premise. This is a really good premise, and I love that it came out at the time it did because they're able to scoop up all these interesting stars from like late 70s and early 80s television. You know, or even bigger stars from earlier eras whose career was just a little on the wane. Yeah. But, you know, Ernest Borgnine. You can get Ernest Borgnine. That's mm. great. The eventual execution, overall, it's kind of a shabby show. They haven't focused in on it, and I'm not fully confident that they are pointed in a direction where they continue to hone their skill. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm really on the fence. Okay. I'm going to say yes. You're going to say it was canceled too soon? It was canceled too soon. I think, okay. I think they can actually rescue this. Yeah, I think so too. They can definitely reboot it, but um, I think, yeah, if, if they had gone on to a second season... Yeah, we would have gotten more shenanigans, and I think they would have settled into a formula that would have worked in the show's favor. I think they needed. I think they needed to do a little tinkering here. Mm-hmm. I think you want some. I think the whole point of having Kirstie Alley and Greg Avigan is you want some consistency from episode to episode. Right. I think what they needed was a rival organization. I think they needed an arch nemesis <laughs> to just like to just be like every every week it's chaos or some or almost every week you don't need it every yeah, single yeah. time, but you need some specific like villain. Mm-hmm. Who's like always waiting in the wings, like some mysterious Carlos the Jackal type? <laughs> okay, who's like they've never quite catch him or something like that? Because I think one of the dangers of this show going on for so long is if a bunch of civilians with very specific skills and no espionage training mm-hmm. can do this this successfully every single week. Uh huh. How hard can it be? <laughs> like, yeah, some of these things are, are, are really quite hard. And I actually really do like the thought that went into this. Like, we're going to come up with a storyline that requires very specific sets of skills. And we're going to figure out what types of civilians would have those skills. Yeah. Great. That That's a good idea. I, it's <laughs> really, really fun. But I think there needs to be something a little bit more, again, a little more consistency. I also think it couldn't hurt if there were some stakes. You know, like there should be an episode where someone, like one of the civilians, actually dies. And oh, there you go. Like, like, put, give a little edge to a it, heroic you know? sacrifice, but they have to actually die. But it's only like halfway through the episode, and now everyone else is just like, "Do we really want to keep doing this?" Like, I have like a family and mm-hmm. a job and a career, and I want to help my country, but this isn't really my job. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like that's something I would like to have seen addressed, and I think raising those stakes a little bit, at least mm-hmm. once. Yeah. would have really ramped up the tension a little bit and made the show feel a little less safe. A little more dangerous, yeah. Yeah, a little bit more. There's more at stake, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think the show was canceled too soon. I can't imagine it last 100 episodes because it is a little samey, but I think we could have gotten a couple more seasons out of this. Sure, why not? Some really yeah. rock-solid, you know, bunch of character actors. Would have been kind of fun to, like, in season two, every once in a while, bring back someone we've, we've met before. <laughs> there you go. Like, oh, we need another gambler for this one. Well, mm-hmm. we know several. 
Bring, bring back Claude Akins. Cool. <laughs> bring Claude Akins just like, oh, so you need my skills once again, eh? Like, mm. boom. Um, so yeah, that's Masquerade. Uh, Masquerade is currently mostly unavailable. We're very lucky to have, to have had a, a copy of it. Mm. But if you ever get a chance uh, to check it out, we do recommend it. Least watch the pilot if you can. It's rock solid. Uh, next time on Cancelled Too Soon, also as selected by our patrons at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, the winner of this poll, Hammer House of Horror. <laughs> yep. We love horror anthology shows. Every single episode is a new treat. Sometimes they're really brilliant. Usually they're funky and weird, and they always have great guest stars. Uh, Hammer House of Horror... Uh, in particular, uh, was a show that was presented by the great Hammer Horror Studio, which brought you movies like The Horror of Dracula, Taste the Blood of Dracula, mm-hmm. Dracula 80, 1972, uh, uh, various Frankensteins doing Frankenstein things. Frankenstein One time Frankenstein and, and Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. They had a whole shtick. Um, and uh, yeah, this is an anthology series that stars many of their classic actors, including uh, Peter Cushing, Denholm Elliott. We got Brian Cox in one of these. Uh, I've, I've seen a few episodes already. Simon um, McCorkendale's in one of them. Uh, and uh, uh, Pat Quinn from the Rocky Horror Picture Show plays a witch in the first episode. <laughs> That's great. Uh, a guy a guy in modern day England wanders out to his barn and a Salem witch just sort of appears in his barn. It's very much like that movie Warlock. <laughs> and, and she starts making his life a hell. That sounds and, great. I'm totally on board for that. And it's old timey British TV, so it's like actually really sexed up and like nice. kind of gory. And, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, I can't wait to sit down with this one. So we're gonna get to this one. Oh, Pierce Brosnan's in one of these. <laughs> that's <laughs> young, cool. Young Pierce Brosnan. That's cool. Um, so yeah, so that's gonna come up next on Cancel Too Soon. And be sure to stick around because we got a ton of other great programming here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. Mm-hmm. We got new movie reviews coming out in a couple of days. Uh, we got We've Got Mail where we answer your letters and you control the conversation. Uh, we've got our upcoming Star Wars podcast episode zero. In which we talk about all the movies that influenced Star Wars. And uh, we've decided that we are going to start with, in case you want to watch along with us, the original Flash Gordon movie serials from the 1930s. So we need to start catching up on those so we can do that episode. Um, and also at the patreon.com uh, slash critically acclaimed network, we have a ton of bonus content. There's only there's all our yesterdays mm-hmm. where we review every single Star Trek episode ever. We have got Only the Best, where we review every film ever nominated for Best Picture. The Cancel Too Soon Monthly Movie, where we do TV movies and miniseries. We uh, just did The Richest Cat in the World. (laughs) And we're going to follow that up with The Parent Trap 2. And I was thinking that since neither of those films are on Disney+, Plus, maybe this year on the Cancel Too Soon Monthly Movie, we should just dig up stuff Disney doesn't want us to find. (laughs) Just all the TV movies. All the TV movies they don't put on their service. Mm. Which is is most of them. Yeah. 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 So maybe we can try to make that a thing, or at least make it a predominant thing. Right, right, right. So we got that going on as well. Bada bing, bada boom. I'm probably forgetting a ton of stuff. We got commentary Mm. tracks on Patreon. We're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, uh, that is a wrap. We will see you next season. Bye.